It's the Finding Joy podcast. We haven't kind of given this a little subtitle for these last couple of episodes and the next episode or two, kind of the best of our choice. Right. <laughs> uh, last last time you picked the uh, the episode with, with Greg Brezina, right. uh, former Atlanta Falcon who now heads up a family ministry. Christian families today, yes. And that was a... I, that was one of my favorite episodes yes. too. Yeah. It was very he was very transparent. Yeah, yeah, really really authentic guy. He yes. Was. Uh, before we get to that, though, I'm Jerry, along with Rob and Benji. We just jumped right in. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and this is the Finding Joy podcast. We're shining a spotlight on the joy that we find in people's lives wherever they happen to be. And I'm actually, I, I titled that, that first one from last week, A Best Of Volume 1. So oh, there maybe you go. this okay. is Best Of Volume, volume two. 2. Okay, okay. I like it. And it's Jerry's pick this that week. That is, that's right. We are, because we are, cause we're, we're getting ready to launch something a little bit new and different and exciting. Uh, how much details did we reveal last time? We have remember. not revealed You're much. Anything, I, yeah. I think we've revealed that we're going to be working with Jules yes, of yes. the Jules Show podcast yeah. and uh, kind of, you know, maybe joining forces, I guess yeah. is a good way of saying it. And, th- and that will be available on our feed, on the Finding Joy podcast feed, at least for a little while. Yeah. Of course, it'll have its own feed too. Yeah. And uh, that's coming this spring. Yeah. Yes. So that'll be a lot of fun. That'll be a lot of fun. So today's episode, Best of Volume 2 coincidentally is uh-huh. another former professional athlete oh, yeah. okay <laughs> all right ebo elder the, oh. the former boxer yeah he was one of the first ones i think we recorded on zoom wasn't he i think so yeah yeah because the the, the greg brazina episode i think w- released right before it and that was just as the pandemic was getting going and then for scheduling reasons and because of the pandemic i think we did ebo uh via a zoom conversation mm-hmm. But his story was fascinating to me in a lot of ways. One of which, and I think I brought this up when we first recorded it, and I know I have since, there's a line that he uses that I think I actually even did a Bible study on based on that line. He's telling a story about how after he had been boxing for a while, then he got picked up and was on some show that he got a little bit more notoriety, Mm -hmm. and a pastor out in California saw him and invited him to come out and speak to his church, which is kind of what he'd been praying about being able to help spread the gospel. When he got out there, he, he made the mistake of looking out at the crowd before going out to speak, and it was a, the place was packed. And he was just struck with stage fright. And he said, the Lord, get me out of this mess. And the line he said the Lord came back to him with was, I put you in this mess. <laughs> <laughs> Which, first of all, to me, reminds me of uh, my dad's favorite comedy duo, Laurel and Hardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's another fine mess you've gotten us <laughs> yeah, into. Yeah, yeah, yes. <clears throat> and I played off of that in that Bible study. But just the fact that there's so often we find ourselves in situations that we would much rather be extricated from, not realizing that God has engineered our circumstances for the exact purpose mm-hmm. of putting us in those situations. Amen. When yeah. you look at Joseph in the Old Testament, I would imagine there were times when Joseph prayed, get me out of this ditch that my brothers threw me in. Get me off of this caravan that my brothers sold me into. Get me out of this prison that I've been wrongly accused of being in. But the whole time, God was working in Joseph's life to put him in a position where he was the second most powerful man in Egypt. One could argue at that time, the second most powerful man in the world, Mm -hmm. so that he could save all of Israel from famine, including his brothers who had sold him into slavery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
if Joseph had given up on any of those messes, Israel would have had a much different story. And that's what Ebo's story told me. Yeah. And then there's also the cool story about the plumber and the mafia and the hit. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you'll just have to listen to find out what that is if you didn't listen to it the and, first time. And the around. greatest boxing match I've ever seen oh, in my that, life. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, it yeah, was that amazing. Was. Yeah. Well, let's get to it. All right. Here's Ebo Elder, the great comeback. Hey, what's up, man? Uh, it's good to see you. Good to uh Good to hear from you guys. We appreciate you doing this, especially you're our first Zoom uh, podcast recording victim, or, or rather guest. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, they say a picture's worth a thousand words, so <laughs> it's good to get to see who, who you're hearing, you know? You know, speaking of which, when I was pitching the idea of you being a guest with Jerry and Rob, you had just posted a video on Facebook promoting your book, The Great Comeback. Okay. And in that was a little, just a tiny little bit of the end of the fight that you had with Courtney Burton. And guys, would you agree that a picture is worth it <laughs> or just a little video clip? Oh my gosh, that was incredible. <laughs> yeah. More than a thousand. I don't, yeah. I don't understand how you were still standing let alone after the fight going over there and praying for your opponent. Yeah, you know, you'd really have to hear the behind the scenes uh, of what was actually going on, what God was doing in that moment. Um, uh, and that's all in the book, obviously. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a uh, it was an incredible night in my life, in my career. And, and certainly a picture is worth a thousand words there. The, the commentator said I was barely recognizable. You know, cuts over both eyes. I had a broken jaw. You know, it was uh, it was pretty rough. Yeah, it was like a scene out of a movie, really. I mean, you could not even see the whites of your eyes. Your eye, both eyes were shut. I remember that fight. I was watching that fight when it happened. It, I mean, it's a very fond memory for me because um, I was watching it with my best friend, who a few months later. Uh, would unexpectedly pass away. So it was just an incredible moment for me to see, like, it's like a Rocky movie in real life, you know, but behind all that, behind the scenes. Now, I read the book, and I read what was going on behind the scenes and the spiritual just, I don't, you take us back to that moment. Just give us the Cliff's notes of what God was speaking to you when you were in that fight. Yeah, so January of that year, that was December 17th, 2004. January of that year, I had, God had called me back to himself and called me back to boxing. I had been out of boxing for over two years. I thought my career was done. I was, I was finished. And when he called me back to himself and back to boxing, everything became about God, you know, how, how he's leading us. You know, how, how can we bring him glory? It wasn't for me. It wasn't my career it wasn't for me to be rich and famous and, you know, all, all that. It was for the Lord. And I knew it. I knew it had to be. And every fight, God would do just a special work, and he would grow me and, and, and train me up, essentially. And, and um, that particular fight was um, the last showbox fight of the year. And when you say showbox, that was on Showtime. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was the last fight that it was toward the end of the year that we began realizing that God was now calling us to do something bigger than we had done yet, something bigger than me. And really, that's what he calls us all to, something bigger than us. And 
Showtime out of nowhere gives us a call. Calls us. We lived in, uh, uh, near Palmetto. Give us a call at our house and said, hey, guys, we want you to fight on our network because Ebo's an exciting fighter. He bleeds a lot. You know, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we knew what God had called us to do, and they sent us a list of potential opponents, and none of the opponents were of a caliber that we felt. We knew we had to get the toughest fight we could get challenge the world champion, challenge the next guy. And that's exactly what we did. Um, ultimately, um, it came down to the number four ranked guy in the world, Courtney Burton. And, and I could give you some backstory to this, but the truth was he was the only guy in the world that I was afraid to fight. And a year, a year and a half earlier, I had watched him destroy a guy named Angel Manfredi. And I watched that fight and I cried out to God, knowing I would fight again someday cried out to God, Lord, don't, don't ever make me have to fight that guy. <laughs> a year and a half later, God made me fight that guy. <laughs> so, you know, so I go into the fight and, uh, you know, high expectations, high hopes, you know, knowing God was with us in this. But around the second round, very early in the fight, I, I realized I was in way over my head. And, you know, and that's a bad place to be, especially when it's on worldwide live boxing television. <laughs> so, so all I knew to do was to cry out to God. And in the second round I did, I said, Lord, I said, this fight's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. It's going to be brutal. And I'm going to want to quit. I, I recognized my weakness. And I said, God, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the goods. I I'm going to want to quit. And he spoke back so clearly. And, you know, you talk about God you know, God speaking and this and that, you know, uh, when you hear from God, there's no question of who's speaking, the clarity. It was, uh, you know, I, I had no doubts. God was speaking to me and said, if you don't quit, I'll do what you can't do. And mm -hmm. when I, when I heard that immediately, I knew number one, I knew I was going to win by knockout. I knew it because I've never seen God leave a decision up to the judges, right? <laughs> it's not his style. He doesn't leave it up to the judges. But I knew I was going to win. I knew I was going to win by knockout. I wanted it to come quick and easy. Obviously, it didn't. 10, 11 rounds later, Courtney hits me with a big right hand. I fall back into the ropes, and I'm going out. It's over. This is the last round. There's a minute and 20 seconds to go, and I'm finished. And I start to go down, and I just crowd to God again. I said, Lord, you know, I'm about to get knocked out, but I didn't quit. And not only did I not quit, Lord, I didn't think about quitting. I haven't allowed it to enter my mind, so I won't do it now. And I, I, I gathered together every bit of strength I possibly could, just enough to stand up. And as soon as I did, God empowered me. You know, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Empowered me to fight and 30 seconds later the number four ranked fighter in the world was knocked out and, and mm, wow. Blown wow. Away. And you know, it's just, you know, God used my career and, and individual fights in my career to instruct me in his word and his ways. And, and, you know, he says the same thing to all of us, man, if we just don't quit, he'll do what we can't do. And he empowers us by his spirit to stay faithful and obey his call. So many times in my life, I find my, I've found myself at the bottom of the pit. You know, this book isn't by any means, hey, look at Ebo. Look how great he is. Look what he's done. It's not that. It's look how screwed up things got. <laughs> and then 
look how God rescued this man, you know, when he would just turn back, you know, it's the life of, you know, a, a David, you know, that made a lot of mistakes and failed God in many ways, but he would always turn back. And every time he turned back, God was faithful to hear his cry and, and, and deliver him. And that's what this book is about. Time and time again, through my entire life, you know, through adversity and difficult situations and making some really, really big mistakes, sinning against God. And yeah, God is still faithful. The Bible says when we are faithless, he is faithful. And so this is really just, this book is a declaration to the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God to deliver us. If we'll just look to him, humble ourselves and look to him. Now, you mentioned that earlier in the year of that fight, you had come back to God. Fill in some of those blanks for us. Where, how did you first come to know God? What happened that you had to be called back and then get called back into boxing? Yeah, so one of the um, really big issues we had to establish when writing this book is I had to decide, essentially, when I, when I did get saved. But early on, seven or eight years old, we started going to church, a very unconventional uh, method of uh, or reasoning for going to church. My dad happened to get in a shootout with a plumber that he hired to do some work on the house. Um, he shot the plumber three times in self-defense. The plumber lived. FBI told my dad, look, if the biggest mistake you made was you, you didn't kill him because Frank's connected to the mafia. They're going to come back and kill you and your family. <laughs> so, yeah. So... We began stockpiling ammunition and food and on-the-clock watches at our house in Palmetto. And, um, I think I get another book in you there. Mm, yeah. uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. So anyway, you know, what this did for my dad is it primed the pump that he would see a need for divine intervention. And somebody invited him to church, and like many times before he was invited to church, he now he saw a need many times before he saw no need, but now he didn't want us to get killed by, you know, the mafia and this angry plumber. So let's go to church. And immediately, you know, faith is a gift of God. It's, it's given supernaturally. And immediately I had complete faith that the Bible was God's word, that what it said was true, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did die for my sins. So from a very early age, I, you know, I gave my life to the Lord, told my parents I want to get baptized. And uh, they said, why do you want to do that? I said, because Jesus wants me to. You know, so I got saved very early. But, but you know, with that salvation, giving my life to Jesus, came calculated spiritual attack. And temptations, as everybody experiences, I get into high school, things, you know, and, and, and I fell away. So... I mentioned coming back into boxing, coming back to the Lord. That was 2003. I had already had 16 professional boxing matches. Uh, 2000, I turned pro. 2000, 2001, 16 pro fights. But during that time, God was blessing my career. It was going well. 16 straight victories, big victories. And I let pride creep into my life. And as pride crept in, you know, I quit depending upon God, uh, I depended upon myself, and I thought I was the man. Of course, I may not, I may not have articulated that, but that's the way, you know, that's the way I really felt. And uh, and anyway, uh, November, um, November of two thousand one, 
I had my 17th pro fight in the Savannah, Savannah, Georgia Civic Center. This fight would earn me a five-fight multi-million dollar deal with Showtime. I would immediately become rich and famous, you know, buy my Ferrari, my big house, and, you know, all that good stuff. And, but God, God put it into the road real quickly for us. I, you know, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I lost that fight. My whole career fell apart. Me and my wife fled the um, chaos we had. Uh, we were in the middle of in Georgia. Fled to Manhattan, New York, right after nine eleven. We move into Manhattan, and and it, to make a long story short, it was several years later that God got my attention. He he had humbled me long enough, and uh, and I came back to Him. I look back at that loss. It was. The, one of the most painful nights of my life, losing that fight and losing out on all of my supposed dreams, but really it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Where did the love for boxing come from? You know, my dad was into boxing. He, he fought some as an amateur and always dreamed of having a son that would fight one day. When I was born, I had a lot of complications. Doctors said I could never play contact sports. Um, but my dad, <laughs> but my dad was, you know, he, he didn't listen to anybody. He's going to do it his way, you know, do what he wants. And about, you know, as soon as I could stand up well, he started teaching me how to box. I don't know that I would have naturally gravitated toward boxing. You know, I would say certainly now at 41 years old and in a life of ministry, my heart is to uh, love people and encourage them and be a blessing to them, not, you know, knock them out, you know, (laughs) but, um, but, you know, so I think I just wanted to do well at whatever I did. And my dad instilled in me from three, four, five years old that you're going to be a world champion, you know, and, and even as early as kindergarten, we always talked about me being on Wheaties boxes. And, you know, really there was an expectation there that if I wasn't, that I, I had failed. And, and this expectation was put on me. It really, it shaped a lot of my life. You know, I, I would um, find my identity in success and accomplishment. And, and I believe that, you know, real love and, and affection from others had to be earned and, and, rewarded essentially but i just wanted to be good at whatever i did man like like, i don't know anybody that likes to lose so i my dad taught me how to work hard that's one thing he definitely taught me well was how to work be a hard worker and um and, and just the will to not only the will to win but the will to prepare and you started your first match was at 10 years old right yeah. and uh and that one didn't go so well yeah, you know, so I, I had trained to win. I had prepared to win, but I hadn't prepared to lose. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in, in Golden Gloves, you have to be 10 years old to, to fight. Uh, Silver Gloves franchise, however, you can be eight. And uh, I'm, I'm going into my first boxing match, and we think I'm fighting another beginner. But he had 42 fights, and he was the reigning national champion. And uh, we, we had a little war. You know, it was three one-minute rounds, you know, real, you know, not that big a deal. But, but we went at it for three rounds, and uh, the decision went to Troy Goodman, my opponent. Can't believe I still remember his name. That was, that's been <laughs> 31 years. But, um, <laughs> but I lost, and I was destroyed. It ruined me because 
my whole identity revolved around success and being the winner. And when I lost that fight, it crushed me. Now, there was a silver lining to that night. Uh, Evander Holyfield, who was the cruiserweight world champion, was at that fight. And uh, he came over to where we were sitting, put me on his knee, and he said, Ebo, he said, I, I lost my first fight too. He said, not only did I lose my first fight, I lost my first four fights. Mm. And he said, I wanted to quit, just like I'm sure you want to quit right now. But my mama told me when I asked her if I could quit, she said, you have to win a match first. If you win one and then you want to quit, you can quit. But you have to win first. <laughs> so he, he obviously didn't quit and you know, kept fighting, and eventually he won. And you know, when he told me that, I looked at him. I said, and he told me, he said, Ebo, don't quit. Win a fight and then make the decision. And I looked at him. I said, Evander, I'll be back in two weeks. <laughs> 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 it's funny, man. You know, I go home and reality sets in. And I couldn't talk about boxing to anybody for two years. Two years later, actually about a year and a half, year and a half later, Evander wins the World Heavyweight Championship. There's a parade in his honor in Atlanta. And me and my dad go. And there we saw Evander. And uh, he, he pointed at us, remembered us. And... Um, you know, I, I looked at my dad and I said, I'm, I'm ready to go back. Let's do it. And, uh, you know, I, I just learned, you know, you know, number one, your identity is not based upon your success or accomplishment. Your identity as a Christian is based upon Jesus and what he's done. And when God looks at us through the blood of Christ, he sees his son, not, not me with all my failures and flaws. Um, and, 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 you know, as far as um, don't quit until you win one, there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, you know, um, being a champion is not about never getting knocked down. It's about getting up again, you know, and, uh, and not just in the boxing, of course, more so in, in our life, you know, living life, getting knocked down, get up, keep going. Proverbs 24, 16 says, although a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. And I'll mention another verse that you mentioned in the book, Romans 8, 28. As I'm reading the story of your life, I'm thinking of that verse yeah. because, because I know where you've been uh, in the last several years, and we'll get there in a moment. But I love the way that you pointed out that all things work together. Yeah, you know, all things aren't good, clearly. Right. I mean, look around there, there's bad things everywhere, but, but God in his sovereign, infinite wisdom, works all things together. It's like a, like a, a recipe. Maybe, a, maybe this illustration lacks a little bit, but you take a recipe for a, you know, a great cake, salt, butter, you know, the things that go eggs by themselves, they're not that good. <laughs> you know, you're not going to eat a stick of butter, uh, drink, you know, eat a bunch of salt. When you put it all together and do it right, you know, it works to be a beautiful, delicious cake. And God, he has a way, infinite wisdom, infinite power to work all things together for our good. And literally, that's how I can say that that 17th pro fight that I lost, one of the toughest moments of my life, it is one of the best things that has ever happened. We just have to give it time. It's not going to be, we're not going to see how God works it out necessarily in the moment. Um, although sometimes God has given me moments of, 
I guess the gift of knowledge or understanding when I'm in a moment and I say, yeah, God is working here and I've understood it before I saw the fruition of it. But God works all things together for good. This book is a, a testimony to that. And you were telling me when we were setting all this up, this, this took a long time for you to write it, huh? This book was the hardest thing I have ever done. And, uh, and I don't say that jokingly. Uh, take my entire boxing career and compare it to writing this book. Writing this book was much harder. And uh, maybe not physically, but emotionally draining. And t- the time I've, I've put thousands upon thousands of hours into this book. Um, I was inspired to write this book in 2008. I had been out of boxing for a couple of years and in, in a life of travel, itinerary evangelism and Bible teaching. And um, a friend of mine told me he'd just written a book. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I need to write a book. And, you know, I'm, I'm telling my story all over the nation and it's impacting lives and people are being transformed and drawn to Jesus. I need to write this stuff down. So I started writing. Ten years later, 2018, I, uh, I had a 170,000-word manuscript. Hmm. Um, that's three novels, basically. And, um, and I was ready to pull the trigger on printing. Uh, lo and behold, uh, my right-hand man in this process, a good friend of mine, said, Ebo, I just got done reading it, and it's not ready. And for the last two years, we diligently – I'm talking, it was an everyday thing for me. I'm talking, you know, four or five hours a day, every day for the last two years. Just killing myself trying to make this book great. You know, and what, what sounds what like something doing? a boxer would do or something. <laughs> I'm sure most people would have given up a couple of months into this editing process, we went through three editors. One of them was a New York best-selling author, New York times best-selling author editor. We went through three editors and about 25 grand. <laughs> and, uh, but I tell you what drove me. It, I wanted this book to be excellent for Jesus. You know, he's worthy of the best I have to offer. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted this book to communicate his goodness and his glory well and it didn't at the first manuscript so we worked for two years the first manuscript 170,000 words the final uh, version about 50,000 words so we took out 120,000 words Mm -hmm. and um, and just wordsmithing man I'm talking till 6 a.m. you know just all night just going at it and uh I'm really happy with the finished product, which is my, it would surprise you if you knew me really well. I'm, I'm just a hard critic on myself and I'm a perfectionist and I believe the book really, really turned out good. So I'm I agree. Thank I agree. You. I enjoyed it. I, I read it all in one day. So wow. I mean, it was a page turn, man. It was wow. really good. It well, was know, funny too because I was getting texts from you while I was reading it. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> it was that was bizarre <laughs> to read about somebody's life and he's texting me while I'm reading. <laughs> the reviews that we've gotten on Amazon have really been a blessing to me. I have about a thousand pre-order customers that pre-ordered it from my travels. They just got their books, by the way. Like when I finished it about two weeks ago. I immediately sent out the books 
And then like a day later was April 5th, the launch day on Amazon. So they just got their books and they're reading them. And as they're reading, they'll go on Amazon and leave some reviews. And there's about, I don't know, 17, 18 reviews right now, but they're all five star, 100% reviews. And the people are saying, look, this book is impacting my life, you know. And what I like about it is that they're not saying, man, Ebo, you're, you're a great guy. You're an amazing guy. Because that's not what the book's about. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not, I don't think. <laughs> it, they just say, look, God is so good. He is so gracious. And I really, I wanted the book to point people to the goodness of God. And, and it, it does that. You're very transparent about your imperfections throughout the whole process of your life. And there's a whole lot of, you know, coming to God and falling away and coming back. But it seems like right before that Courtney Burton fight was when everything started clicking for you or, or those few fights leading up to that. Um, you talked about, uh, you know, seven fights to get to that world championship uh, opportunity, right? Yeah. You know, man, it was just the end of 2003 when God, he did something in me. You know, I, I can't even put a finger on how or, or, um, or exactly when, you know, in the 2003, man, God did a work in my, you know, he did a work for me and my wife, you know, this book largely is about my wife and our relationship largely. And, and we've been married, divorced, remarried. It's, it's an incredible story of God's faithfulness to redeem a broken marriage. But in, beginning of 2003, we were in a very bad place. Um, we had just uh, went through a uh, miscarriage. Our relationship was falling apart. Me and my wife both struggled with, you know, alcoholism type things, just trying to trying to find some peace in our life and, you know, meaning or something or escape our reality is what we were trying to do. We needed God to intervene and I knew it and he did. Mother's Day, 2003, we found out we were having another, we, Amy was pregnant and um, shortly after that, God began opening my eyes to, you know, I had received Christ as a little boy. I, I understood the gospel but I had been running for a long time. And what it came down to is, you know, Jesus hasn't called us to be converts. He's called us to be disciples. And I was a convert at best. You know, I was you know, a, a running convert. But middle of 2003, God began to open my eyes to, to being a disciple and what that looks like and, and, and how to grow in the word and grow in a lifestyle of prayer and uh, denying my flesh and strengthening my spirit. And these things began to be a, a reality to me. So January 2004, I had my first comeback fight. And, you know, it was, everything was about bringing God glory. And February 23rd of 2004, just two months into my comeback, we had Abby, my second oldest daughter. And when she was born, it was like, it was so clear God was working in our midst. People even started calling 2004 the year of the saints because you know, the, the work that God was doing it was so unmistakable to everybody. You know, I can't take any credit for, as some people might say, turning my life around. I didn't turn it around. God, I didn't choose him. He chose me. He intervened and he saved me and he pulled me out of the pit. So he gets all the glory, man. Before that big fight would have happened, um, I mean, there was, there was all kinds of drama and you can read about it in the book. Before it could e you could even get there, you changed directions. 
and um, you you started on a new path and retired from boxing. Yeah, so the the, the title fight, the the Courtney Burton fight, earned us a world title shot. And at the time, Juan Diaz, the the baby bull from Houston, was uh, was the undisputed, undefeated world champion. And we go out to Vegas. We train for two and a half months. Spend you know I don't know thirty grand on a training camp. And uh, I was ready to fight. I was about to you know earn what I had been dreaming of since I was five years old. I knew I was going to beat Juan Diaz. Not a doubt in my mind. Nine and a half times out of ten times, I beat Juan Diaz. One week before the fight, the, their camp called us and said he got injured and the fight was off. And, you know, no big deal. We'll postpone it. We'll replan, reschedule. And, and, you know, months of trying to reschedule, you know, they started saying that I wanted too much money. So I said, well, then we'll fight winner take all. The winner gets all the money. That's one way to shut people up when they say you want too much money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, then they started saying I, I wouldn't, we couldn't pick a fight location. I said, well, look, I'll fight Juan Diaz in Houston, Texas, his hometown. I'll fight him in his backyard if he wants to. And so anyway, we did everything we could do. Eventually we went to New Jersey, met with his promoters and, and asked him. We knew what was going on. He was just trying to, you know, uh, get out of the fight. And uh, his promoter confirmed that, said, yeah, yeah, he doesn't want to fight you. But we'll make him fight you. Uh, the sanctioning bodies will do that if you beat this guy. And long story short, man, you know, that fight falling apart led to me fighting a guy named Lachva Sim, a Mongolian fighter, ranked number one in the world, right below Juan. And that was a Gwinnett Arena main event. A really interesting time of my life. You know, I um, I knew God was at work, but man, I tell you, I was I was. Uh, it was a difficult time in my life. I go into the fight in Gwinnett Arena, Hillsong United, Salvation is here, blaring through the speakers. A really powerful moment. But you know, God had a plan, and I have to remember that. You know, just because God has a plan doesn't mean it's always going to make me comfortable. I'm not always going to be happy with the way things go. It's not always going to work out the way I think it should because God's way, his ways aren't my ways. His ways are much higher. I lost that fight against Lachva Sim. Painful loss. I thought my career was over and uh, ended up uh, leave, leaving boxing. Um, I got a, a job in Orlando, Florida, basically a maintenance guy in an apartment complex. And uh, I'm down there working, and I get a phone call one day. It's from the reality show, The Contender Producers. They say, Ebo, we want you on our show, blah, blah, blah. And I told them, I said, well, look, I'm out of boxing. Call somebody else. I hung up the phone. I called my wife. Babe, you wouldn't believe what just happened. It's really weird. These Contender Producers people call me, want me to be on a boxing TV show, and She's like, this is the Lord, babe. You need to call them back. What are you doing? And uh, so I call them back. We go on the show, and I begin to see God's work again. You know, when you can see God's work in your life, that's when it's easier to follow him. It's when we get in these wilderness places, and we're like, where's the Lord? You know, I don't see him in any of this. And, and difficult things happen and painful things happen. That's when it gets tough to follow him. And, um, but now, man, God's work was clear again. I'm on this reality show. I'm going to use it to bring God glory, and I'm going to win $500,000 and get famous. 
that's that's the way yeah that's the the human in me right anyway the night of my first fight a couple days earlier i started getting flu symptoms i think that's why mike actually chose me to fight i'm pretty sure it is but i go into the fight and i prayed two prayers i said lord right before the fight me and my wife and girls we prayed i said lord i pray that number one i don't look like an idiot because i was totally not ready to fight I was out of shape. I, I was so ring rusty. After all, I've been back in construction, right? So I'm like, Lord, just make me look like I, can fight, like I can fight. Just let that happen. And then secondly, you get glory out of whatever happens. I wanted God to get glory. I go in the fight for four rounds. I look like Sugar Ray Leonard. They even, Sugar Ray Leonard even commented, you know, he's looking amazing, you know. And uh, God answered my first prayer right there. I got caught with a big right hand. I go down, I get up, the referee stops the fight. It's over. And I was hurt. I lost. But God's grace was upon me. And I said, look, this is the end of anything for me. This is all part of God's plan. God will work this out for my good. Romans 8, 28, right? Even, it even mm. confirms that. And um, I didn't know how it would work out at the time. But sure enough, it was about a year later. I knew God was calling me to leave boxing. And um, beginning of 2007, I knew God was calling me out of boxing. My career was over. He made it very clear. Um, I started calling. To, and by the way, can y'all hear my dog barking? I can hear the dog, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's real life. It's all good. Beginning um, of 2007, and uh, I knew God called me to leave boxing and, and, and go into a life of ministry. And... Um, you know, all I knew to do was start calling some churches and telling them God's calling me to leave boxing. I got a good story. I can share my testimony and I'll speak to anybody. And I thought I'll pay all my own expenses and I'll take care of everything. Just give me an opportunity. And I called churches for three weeks, eight to five, Monday through Friday, hundreds of churches. And not one church gave me an invitation to come. And I was, I was just, I didn't know what to do. So I quit. I quit giving. I quit calling. Gave up, and I got a message on the social media network MySpace. This dates me a little bit, but <laughs> this guy in San Diego, California, said, "Ebo, me and my dad, we were at the gym about a year ago, and we saw you fight Mike Stewart on the Contender, and we saw you lose. But when you lost, we saw you give God glory." And we could tell you have a relationship with Jesus. So we want you to come speak at our church. And I'm like, well, wow, this is, this is great. Cool. We got an invitation. He did it. They, they were like, we don't even know if you'd be interested in this or not, but we'd love for you to come out. So I ended up, me and my wife went out to San Diego and, uh, had a great night. Uh, I thought it was going to be a tiny, you know, probably a small startup church or something, but it ended up being a church that was 35 years old with about, I don't know, 2,500 people attending mm -hmm. on a weekly basis. I speak to a couple thousand people and it went great. It was a crazy weekend, a blur. It just went by. I get home. And I'm like, okay, well now what? And I get a call from a guy named Poncho Juarez. He pastors a church in Montebello, California. And he calls me, he says, Hey, I want you to come out and speak at my church. I go out there and I'm sitting there in the green room Sunday morning and Calvary Chapel Montebello is about 6,000 people. And uh, I'm sitting in the green room and I start to freak out guys. Right. I'm not a, at this time I, I'm not a speaker. I'm not a Bible teacher. 
you know, I'm very green in this whole thing. I got one speed engagement under my belt, right? And I'm about to speak to 6,000 people. I'm a pro boxer. Leave me alone, right? And uh, Pato walks in the green room and he's like, how you doing, man? And I, and I said, well, I'm nervous. I don't, you know, I need some wisdom. Help me out. He says, oh, don't worry. Just have a good time, you know. And I'm, uh, that's the best you got, Ponto. Just have a good time. <laughs> and, uh, he walks out. He says, let me know if you need anything. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I need somebody else to speak in my place. <laughs> but, man, I go out and, and that morning and, you know, I shared from the heart. You know, I shared how good God's been to me. I shared how faithful he is to deliver us from, from destruction. I shared, you know, my, my marriage uh, come back our remarriage and what God was doing there. And, and, uh, and I gave an invitation that day, man, just to people who wanted to surrender their life to Jesus. And, and it blew me away what God did. I mean, literally more people were in the altars than weren't in the altars and families being healed and reconciled. And, um, it, it was just an amazing day. And I tell you, God, um, God told me something in the green room that morning, right before I went out. He said, Ebo, if you can speak about me to thousands or to millions on worldwide boxing television, you can speak in a church to thousands. And I was crying out to God, get me out of this mess. And he, he said, you know, I put you in this mess. <laughs> this is what I've called you to do. This is who I've called you to be. And, and I, you know, and that just the peace of God that surpasses all understanding came upon me. And I, and I knew what God had called me to do, you know, and ever since then, you know, it's been just a journey of leaving boxing, leaving what I devoted my life to and found so much identity in and finding my identity in Christ and who I am in him and, and, and what he's called me to do and who he's called me to be and, and, and living that to the best of my ability. We've got a comeback that needs to happen. We've got this uh, COVID-19 pandemic going on throughout our world. What sort of uh, inspiration can you give give to someone who's who's been feeling anxiety, who uh, who wants to get back to normal life um, these days? What sort of inspiration can you give? I can tell you this, and you'll see this clearly through through the book. The greater the setbacks are in your life, and think about them right now. You might have some serious setbacks from COVID-19 and all the ramifications attached to this. I mean, some serious setbacks in your life. The greater the setback, the greater the comeback. I've seen it too many times. I've seen, I've been down and out. I've lost everything. And, I, and it's not just when I was younger. Through my, through 40 years, man, 41 years now, time and time again, for many different reasons, I've lost everything at times and it's never over if you just look to jesus if you put your trust in him follow his ways repent of your sins right follow his ways he delivers us and as i said the greater your setback right now the greater the comeback's going to be the book is a testimony to that Right now, you know, I my wife lost her job. My oldest daughter and son-in-law lost their jobs. Um, I, I've been talking to some people recently online that they, they acted like, you know, they think I'm a millionaire. They think, you know, and, and granted, if my career happened 15 years later, I might be. But nonetheless, just as a, as a second note there. Um, 
but you know, people talking to me like, you know, it doesn't affect, you know, especially concerning my book coming out now, you know, I, I just put a post that's reached like 80,000 people or 70 something thousand people. And a lot of those people are hard hearted towards God. I intentionally target my audience to be not the mainstream church group because I, I'm here to reach some, reach the lost, you know, at least partially and, and, and equip the saints. But nonetheless, people talking like, I don't understand what it's like to go through COVID-19. Like, who do you think I am? You think I'm just some millionaire retired boxer living in South beach, Miami. That's not me. I'm a, I'm a middle-class hardworking. I bust my rear end every day, 6am to midnight, seven days a week. And I, I said, I've experienced the repercussions of COVID-19 just like everybody else has. But you know what? Here's one thing I can promise you. I'm not worried about a thing. There's not a thing I'm worried about. Now, I, I grieve for those who have lost loved ones. I do. I grieve for them. We are not wired for death. We, we, we're not wired to deal with it. And I grieve for them. And my heart goes out to them. But But... I'm with everybody else as far as the other financial struggles and occupational things and stuff like that. And I know God's going to be faithful. I know God's going to be faithful. And this is a worldwide opportunity for people to say, you know what? I'm going to, for the first time ever, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. Uh, and they can watch him be faithful and him deliver them and see them through this. It's a tough time for our nation. It's a tough time in the world. But, um, but I know God is good all the time. <laughs> Not to be cliche-ish, but he's good all the time. And uh, I like the way uh, years ago I heard Truett Cathy say one time, he said, you know, this was, I think this was in the recession, 2007, 2008. Things were pretty bad, 2009, somewhere in there. And Chick-fil-A was just, you know, rocking you know and uh, somebody was talking to him he said god doesn't participate in a recession and that's true he doesn't god's in control here's what it comes down to guys i am the sheep of god's pastor we're the sheep we're sheep in his pastor and all the sheep have to do is stay close to the shepherd that's all we're required to do if we stay close to the shepherd he'll protect us he'll provide for us he'll take care of us and not just take care of us. He's, he's the good shepherd, so he'll do it very well. So just stay close to the shepherd, man, and you'll be all right. There you go. Yeah. It's a pleasure getting to see you and getting to meet you and getting to know you a little bit. It's a tremendous story. And you got the title for your next book, The Mafia and the Angry Plumber. <laughs> that's actually, that's a great one. My wife's going to write a book, though. And she's going to say title it, How I Made It Through the Great Comeback. Oh, yeah, that's go. good. That's, <laughs> that's a good companion piece there. We'll have to get her on an episode when that comes out. Yes, my, wife, my wife's a great woman. She's, uh, she's a blessing to me. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if she's actually going to write that book, but she should. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Evo, thank you for your time, man. And, uh, hey, once, once things settle down, we'll, we'll get together. Until then, Zoom calls it is. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on today. You know, uh, this book is my life work. I, I, I hold this book as far as anything I've done other than, you know, having a godly marriage and raising godly kids. I mean, this is, it's been my life work. And, um, and, and I really believe in it. 
I believe God's going to use it to touch lives. I believe God's going to use it to encourage people when they're on the edge of wanting to give up. You know, I, I had a gun to my head at 21 years old when, when the Lord spoke into my life and essentially started, you know, started a new work in my life. You know, I was ready to end mine. And I know there's a lot of people that through this COVID-19 and everything connected to it, suicide rates are rising. People need hope. They need hope. And I know this book will be a tool that God can use to give people hope. And um, hope not in some fairy tale and some mythical idea, some wishful thinking, but tangible, real hope that Jesus is risen. He's alive. He is in control. And, um, and he will take care of his people guaranteed every time. Good thoughts. And eboelder.com is where you can get all the info and link up to buy the book. Yeah. eboelder.com or thegreatcomeback.com. Yeah, yeah, thank you, sir, for your time. We appreciate thank it. Thank you. I appreciate, Thanks, guys. I appreciate y'all very much. God bless you. Imagine something terrible happening to you, but then God creating something beautiful out of it. That's the story of Scott Rigsby. There were times where all I could do on my journey was take my next breath. And then I took my next one, and I took my next one. That's the latest episode of The Jewel Show. If you're going through something difficult right now, and you need to be encouraged knowing that God is in charge of it all, then go to wherever you get your podcast from, or go to thejoyfm.com slash jewels.